Please open your pew Bibles in front of you to page 811, and we'll be reading from Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. But before we do that, uh, let's pray together. Lord God, we pray that by your Spirit you would give us ears to hear and hearts to believe all that you have to say to us in your word today. We ask in Christ's name, amen. So reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter six, verses one to 15. This is the word of the living God. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So this afternoon, we're going to consider the topic of prayer, and as we begin thinking about that, I'm reminded of an old hymn, which is very precious. It says this, I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. And if there's anything that prayer teaches us, it teaches us our utter dependability on God. It teaches us our complete need before him. But it also teaches us God's sufficiency to deal with our every need. A prayer is 
one of the most important things we do in the Christian life. Because through prayer, we have fellowship and communion with God. Uh, The framers of our uh, catechism uh, refer to prayer as one of the means of grace. In other words, how do we receive the grace that God has to give? How do we grow in our spiritual life? How is our faith increased day by day and year by year? Well, they tell us that the ordinary way, the usual ways that God increases our faith is through the reading and preaching of God's word, uh, the receiving of the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism, and prayer. Prayer is a means of grace. It's one of the ways that God has given us uh, to receive and, and uh, for faith to be built up in us. And as we know from coming to church uh, week by week, prayer comprises much of our worship service, doesn't it? We're, um, in, in fact, often in the history of the church, the, the worship service has been referred to as the order of prayers or a service of prayer and sacraments. And of course, uh, uh, for Christians, we also spend much time uh, alone in scripture and, and prayer. Prayer is one of the primary ways that we're able to uh, worship alone or, or with our families. But I think for many, prayer is not only an important thing, but it's one of the most challenging things of the Christian life. Um, sometimes people might find it easier to participate in, in group prayer rather than alone. We find that when, when we're alone, we run out of things to pray for pretty quickly. Uh, Sometimes we can grow impatient in our prayers uh, if we don't get answers from God uh, fairly quickly. And then there are the many things in our lives which crowd prayer out. We we just find that we don't have time sometimes uh, to pray. But notice in this passage that Jesus says repeatedly, and when you pray, there's, there's a general assumption that we ought to pray as Christians, is there not? Prayer can also be challenging because sometimes we, we can be confused about what to pray for. We find ourselves or a loved one in an extremely difficult situation and we just, we just don't have the wisdom to know what to ask for of God. We don't, we don't know what to pray for. And so prayer can be very difficult in those times when we're confused. Well, what is prayer? Well, at its simplest, prayer is talking with God. It's communing with God. Um, Some have referred to the anacronym ACTS, A-C-T-S. There's maybe four different kinds of prayer. There's adoration, A, adoration, in which we praise God. There's C, which stands for confession. We tell our sins to God, admit our faults and our our breaking of his commandments uh, to him. Uh, T stands for thanksgiving. We give him thanks for all of his good gifts. And S for supplication. We pray for our own needs and the needs of others. Now, prayer is essentially an aligning of our wills with God's will. It's a turning away from ourselves and our self-sufficiency and pride and depending and trusting in our Heavenly Father 
for all things. So I want us to see from this passage this afternoon three things that Jesus is teaching us, and they all begin with P. First, Jesus gives us warnings against pride, and we'll see that in verses one, five, and seven. And then secondly, Jesus teaches us that prayer takes careful preparation, and we'll see that in verse six. And then finally, Jesus gives us a pattern for prayer, and we know this as the Lord's Prayer, and that's in verses nine through 15. So first, let's look and see how Jesus warns against pride. You see, like oil and water, pride and prayer never mix together. And there there are two dangers that Jesus points out for us. First of all, he says that we might be tempted when we're doing our acts of righteousness to be seen by others. Look at verses one and five with me. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And then verse five. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. And the first, uh, Jesus gives three examples, actually, of, of this temptation to be seen by others. Uh, first, he, re- he refers to acts of giving, in verses two to four. Uh, After the passage we read uh, this afternoon, he talks about how some people like to to dress up in mourning cloths and and, um, fast and let everybody know that they're on a fast. And then in these central verses from five through 14, uh, he talks about the temptation to be be seen praying uh, in front of others so that our righteousness can be seen. We want our righteousness to be noticed. We want to be known as good people, useful, looked up to. But somehow, it it seems like we always secretly want to compare ourselves with others. We want to be known as being uh, better uh, than others, and that's that's kind of the American way now, isn't it? Uh, You know, supposed to compete and, you know, look out for number one. It's always about who can come out on top, and unfortunately, that kind of attitude can creep into our spiritual lives. It's a very, very subtle thing um, that we would want others to notice us. Of course, we don't want to be noticed as somebody who is unpious, somebody who's a sinner, somebody who doesn't care about God. That's, of course, embarrassing. Um, We don't want our sin to be exposed. If, if, If you all know what was going on in my heart, today, I would be embarrassed to stand in front of you this morning. Of course, I don't want you to know those things. Only God uh, knows much of what's in my heart. But but more than that, we have this temptation to to want our righteousness to be seen. We want to overcorrect that sense of of guilt that we have, and we want to be seen and known as as righteous in front of others. there's a, an example of this in the, the Gospels. Uh, Jesus tells a story about two men that went up to the synagogue to pray. There was a Pharisee and a publican, a, a tax collector, and the 
Pharisee stood up there and he said, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. I do all these things and I'm, I'm certainly not like this, this publican, this tax collector, this traitor over here who doesn't even treat his own people uh, properly. And then he says the publican um, was far off. He wouldn't even come near and he just said, be merciful to me, O God, the sinner. And Jesus holds up the publican as the one who, who goes away justified uh, before God because he admits his sin. He's not afraid to admit his fault uh, before God. So we want our righteousness to be noticed, but notice that Jesus calls this kind of person a, a hypocrite. A hypocrite, of course, is one thing on the outside, but something else on the inside. Uh, an actor, if you will, somebody who likes putting on masks, pretending to be one thing on the outside, but really is something else uh, on the inside. And this is teaching us something very important about prayer, because there's two kinds of hypocrites uh, in the Bible. Um, There are those who pretend to believe in God, but really don't. Um, And this passage is teaching us essentially that a a non-Christian actually cannot pray because a non-Christian doesn't believe in God. Uh, Hebrews uh, 11 verse six teaches that prayer is an act of faith. It says this, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So belief in God is fundamental to praying uh, to God. But unfortunately, that's not the only kind of hypocrite there is. Um, We can also be Christian hypocrites. And much of Jesus' teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount was against the teaching of the Pharisees, those who were the religious leaders of the day and prided themselves in their external uh, acts of, of righteousness. And we can be Christian hypocrites. Um, so this passage is, is, if we're honest, it is so searching. It penetrates deep into the motivations of our heart and tests every motivation that we have uh, before God. Well, Jesus points out that there's a second danger uh, besides hypocrisy, and we see this in verse seven. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Um, sometimes when we find ourselves in a, in a difficult place with another person and we've, we've had a conversation with them and we're, we're just not getting anywhere, we might express our frustration to a friend. You know, I'm, I'm just not getting anywhere with this, with this friend of ours and you know, we've all seen it where somebody puts up their hand and says, don't worry, Colin, I'll talk to them. They'll, I'll know what to do. I, I, I know how to get through to them. I know what to say. Well, that kind of thing doesn't work with God. It's not about the words that we say. There's, there's no combination of words that's just gonna automatically get our way with God. God sees past everything into every motivation of our hearts. And so we we learn from this that the purpose of prayer is to get what 
God wants. Because what God wants is the best thing for us. Let me say that again. The purpose of prayer is to get what God wants because what God wants is the best thing for us. Think about it. He's infinite in his wisdom, power, and love. Do we think we can come up with a better solution than God can for our lives? But yet we treat God like that all of the time. Um, Throughout this passage, uh, Jesus is teaching us to address God as Father. And later on in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapter seven, verse 11, Jesus says this, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? God is not a cosmic killjoy. He loves his children. He loves his children. And he gives good things to those who ask him. So Jesus has taught us um, things that we need to, uh, 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 he, he teaches us things about our pride, but second, he teaches us that prayer takes careful preparation. Look with me at verse six. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. The great pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones says about this passage, he says, we need to shut others out and you need to shut yourself in (laughs) with God. I think that's pretty good. We need to remove all kinds of distractions. Anything which will keep us from focusing on God. Any thought of our own self-worthiness. We also need to shut out the voice of our accuser who would be whispering, whispering in our ear, you have no right to go before God. See what a sinner you are? You have no right to go before God. But only sinners can go before God. (laughs) He welcomes sinners. He is the friend of sinners. And then he says, pray to your father who's in secret. And here again, we have another indication that prayer is for believers. You see, a Christian is someone who has experienced the new birth. We've been born from above of the spirit of God And it's by the Spirit of God, the Apostle Paul teaches, that we can cry out, Abba, Father. We are his adopted children through the blood of Jesus Christ, and that's the reason we can call out to him as Father, because Christ has purchased us with his own blood. But notice also that he tells us to pray to our Father who is in secret. This is a wonderfully comforting thing. I mean, even in our human relationships, we we cherish those men and women who we can go to in private and ask that special word of advice or counsel from. But how much more going to the king of the universe in secret, this, this one whose son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the friend that sticks closer than a brother, how much more when we go to our heavenly father can we confide in him, 
He knows everything about us. He knows our needs, it says in verse eight, even before we ask him. There's nothing we can hide from him, so there's no need to try. There's no need to be embarrassed about it. He knows it all already. We can just go, and we can come to him, as the New Testament says, boldly in the name of Christ. He's our Father who's in secret. And then it says, he will reward you. He will reward you. What kind of rewards does God give? Well, uh, the Apostle John gives us some clues about this in uh, John chapter 14 and 15. John chapter 14, uh, 23 says this. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The reward that those who seek after God by his spirit is fellowship, true fellowship with the Father, Son, and Spirit. And then the other thing is, through prayer, um, is one of the other means by which God bears fruit in our lives. Uh, John chapter 15, verse 16 says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Whatever you ask in my name, he may give it to you. Um, the fruit of a righteous life is and God rewards us um, by having his, his will be done in and through our lives as we seek him uh, by the Spirit in the name of Christ. And uh, he, he, he blesses the works of our hands and the things that we say and the things that we do in ways that we'll never see or know or understand. I mean, how often does it happen in our lives when we, we, we do or say something that we've long forgotten about and then many months, even many years later, somebody might come up to us and say, you know, you said this to me and it meant so much. And we had no idea that the Lord was working in that way through us. That's the kind of fruit that God produces in our lives. And we have to trust him for that. If we're trying to be fruitful, we're probably gonna mess up. But Jesus says in John chapter 15 that we're to abide in him. How do we abide in Christ? It's through prayer. It's through reading his word. It's through seeking him in prayer. So thirdly now, we need to look and see this pattern that Jesus gives for prayer. And we know this as the Lord's Prayer. And many have observed that this is a, a model prayer, that we're um, to make our prayers like this, when of course we can use these exact words and it would be very fitting to do so. And, and frequently we do use the Lord's Prayer, especially when we gather together as as his church, and there's certainly nothing wrong with using this prayer uh, alone or with our families. But it also forms a pattern by which all of our other prayers uh, can be modeled. And there are six petitions in this prayer. The first three relate to God and his glory, and the final three relate to our needs. And as we think about God and his glory, we can think back all the way to that first catechism question that we 
read now many months ago, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Man's chief end is to glorify God. So Jesus puts that first. That's the most important thing for you and for me, that we seek God in all of his glory, that we seek to praise him, that we seek to glorify him in all we do. So he begins the prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He's our Father who's in heaven. The psalmist says that heaven is God's throne. It's, it's, it's the, it's the uh, image that scripture uses uh, as the seat of God's power and authority. So when we address our Father in heaven, we're acknowledging his authority over us, but also his ability to provide all that we need. He is the creator and we are the creatures. And this is also to be seen in contrast uh, to our earthly fathers. Now there's, there's a similarity here uh, with our earthly fathers in that our earthly fathers uh, seek to give us good things. They seek to provide for us. They seek to give protection. But we also know the sad reality that many times earthly fathers fail. And some fail miserably. They can be abusive. They can, um, they can aff- afflict a lot of harm on their family. So God is not like earthly fathers in other respects as he never would harm his children. In fact, uh, he, he's able to give far more abundantly above what any earthly father could. And he loves in a way that no earthly father is able uh, to love. And what is the measure of God's love for us? Well, the Apostle Paul puts this Uh, perhaps more beautifully uh, than any other in uh, Romans chapter eight, verse 32. I'll start in verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. This is our Father in heaven, the one who sent his son, Jesus, to die for our sin. If he did that, if he gave his son, Paul's argument is, of course he would give us everything else that we need in abundance. That's the kind of God we have. That's the kind of father we have. He's not like any earthly father. He is our heavenly father. But also as we pray to our father in heaven, this also sets our priorities in the right order. It, it causes us to focus on heavenly things, not earthly things. A Paul in his letter to the Colossians, chapter three, verses one to three says this. If then you have been raised with Christ, In other words, if then you are a Christian, 
Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The Christian is to have heavenly, eternal priorities. But we're also supposed to become who we are in Christ. Colossians 3 goes on to tell us to put off our old self, which includes anger and wrath and slander and obscene talk and lying and all kinds of other wicked things, but to put on the new self, uh, the new person in Christ, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and love. So he is our Father in heaven. He gives us good gifts and he sets our priorities in the right place to seek the things that are above. But then Jesus says we're to pray, hallowed be your name. Let your name be hallowed. Let your name be known as holy. Well, the fundamental meaning of the word holy is set apart. And when we speak about God being set apart, what we mean is there's no one like him. He has absolute power and perfection. We're to hallow his name. We're to to speak his name from our hearts as if he's the most important being in all of the universe, and he is. The Heidelberg Catechism says this wonderful thing when speaking of this phrase of the Lord's Prayer. It it says, we're praying that nothing would be seen in us which would take away from God's holiness. Nothing would be seen in us which would take away from God's holiness. In other words, nobody would look at us and, and say, well, you've just ruined God's reputation. <laughs> um, in Matthew chapter five, Jesus had said this in uh, verse 16. He said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now, at the beginning of this chapter, he said, don't do your works of righteousness in front of others. And then in chapter five, he had said, well, do your good stuff in front of others. So which, which do you mean, Jesus? Well, there's a different purpose to each one of these. In chapter six, he's warning us against doing them so that others would glorify us. And in chapter five, he has taught us to do things in such a way that people would glorify God. And I think that's where this, these words from the Heidelberg Catechism help us so much people would not look at us and see in us anything which would take away from a sense of God's holiness. Well, he says, hallowed be your name. Why the name? Well, the name represents God as a whole. It really speaks to everything that God is. Hallowed be your name. Praise be everything who you are, God. And the idea here is that the whole world would come to know God in his fullness and his magnificence. Well, we need to move quickly on to the other petitions. Uh, The second petition is 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. The prayer here is that the reign of God would be manifested in every part of creation. That the kingdom of Satan would be destroyed and that the kingdom of grace uh, would be expanded. You remember Jesus himself came saying repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He is the one who ushers in the kingdom of God. And uh, this, uh, and, and, and the apostle John says later in the New Testament that the reason the Son of Man came, the reason the Son of God came was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to undo what had been done in the garden with the entry of sin in the world. Jesus is the redeemer. He's the savior king who comes in to usher, God, usher in God's eternal kingdom. So when we pray your kingdom come, we're praying that all of creation would be subservient to the reign of God, that the kingdom of Satan would be destroyed and held back and the kingdom of grace expanded. In other words, as the gospel is preached here and all around the world, that people would come to a saving faith in Christ and that they would be kept in that faith. Not only that, but when we pray thy kingdom come, we're also uh, praying that the future kingdom of glory will come quickly. Remember that the final words of our Bible says, amen, come, Lord Jesus, come. We're to be uh, those who are expecting uh, and anticipating greatly uh, the return of our Savior Jesus. Well, the third petition is, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this prayer is that uh, we would joyfully submit to God's will, even as the angels do in heaven. Now, this doesn't come naturally to us, does it? Because in our sin, we resist the will of God. We, have, we still have cold and stony hearts. We have competing priorities. And we don't often want to do what God wants. And that's why it's important when we pray that we have our Bibles open in front of us so that we can understand through the working of the Holy Spirit what his will is for us. And as we pray, he can be teaching us his will by his spirit. The fourth petition is give us this day our daily bread. And here we move from praying for the glory of God uh, to be accomplished to praying for our own needs and the needs of one another. And this fourth petition is focusing particularly on our needs for life on earth. We're praying that out of his grace, he would give us what we truly need. Now, so often we want more than we need, don't we? And I think it's particularly true and perhaps toxic in our own country that we have such an abundance of things available to us so easily. We can fill our our lives and our homes with endless entertainment, endless things uh, which uh, give us a passing pleasure but but really have no long-term of fulfillment, 
And sadly, we devote much of our lives to pursuing these kinds of things. Well, this, this prayer is not for those kinds of things. This prayer is for the things that we actually need in life. It's the simplest things for breath, for food, for shelter. We don't take it for granted that these things are given to us by a heavenly father. But we look to him with thankfulness and contentment uh, for all that he has given. I, I marvel at the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter four where he says, I have learned in all things, in all circumstances, therein to be content. That's what give us this day our daily bread means in a, in a practical way that we would be content with what God provides and we would look to him as our provider. Well, the fifth petition is, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We need to recognize just how much we need his grace. This petition is uh, for our need for cleansing, to be restored to full fellowship with God when we sin, because we will sin. And it also is so that we would be thankful for his grace. One of my favorite stories in all the Bible is in Luke chapter seven where the, the sinful woman from the city comes in and she anoints uh, Jesus' feet in the home of the Pharisee and people standing around say, well, if he knew who was touching her, he wouldn't have anything to do with her. And he tells the story about uh, the two people who were forgiven a debt, one a, a great big debt and somebody else a little less, and he asks his host, well, which one will love him more? And he says, well, I guess the one who was forgiven the greater debt. And he points to the woman, and he says, look at her. Uh, she's been forgiven much, and she's been thankful. You can tell because she's thankful. Forgive us our debts. We need to recognize how much we need the grace of God be thankful for his grace, but then he puts in the kicker as we forgive our debtors. And again, this is a warning against hypocrisy. God knows whether we're being hypocritical, whether we're expecting something from him that we're not willing to give to others. Jesus tells a parable about this in Matthew 18 of an unforgiving servant, um, somebody who had perhaps years worth of wages uh, or, or, or of debt owed to his master and his master is getting ready to throw him into prison and he, he begs of him to be forgiven and his master forgives him but then he goes and out and he finds a friend who owns him a, a couple days wage and he demands it of him and has him thrown into, into jail until he would pay. And Jesus says, well, what's the master gonna do? He's gonna go find that servant and he's gonna take care of him. He's gonna punish him for that. Well, we're to ask God and ask him to forgive our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. The way our attitude towards others shows that we understand something of the mercy that has been given us. And those who have been given mercy of that kind will be eager to give mercy and grace to others. And God's forgiveness of us is really what helps us forgive others. Jesus had said at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the merciful, 
for they will obtain mercy. And then finally, the sixth petition. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is a prayer our need and recognizes our need for protection from the dominion and power of sin. Now we have to uh, understand here um, an important teaching, and that is that God does not tempt anyone. Uh, We're taught this in James chapter one, uh, verse 13. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So God does not tempt anyone. He doesn't put anything in anybody's life that is going to cause them to sin. That's not what God does. God does, however, test us. He does things which will try our trust in him. But the Bible teaches that there are, of course, times um, under God's providence where we are, in fact, tempted, but God himself provides a way out. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, what can we conclude? Just gonna rattle off a few things. First, we should do all to the glory of God. Second, as Jesus later says in the Sermon on the Mount, we should seek his kingdom and his righteousness, trusting that he will add everything to our lives that we need. We need to be thankful to God for his mercies in Christ, and we need to extend that mercy to others and tell them how they can know Christ. We need to be content with what God has given. We need to flee temptation and evil, and don't ever be the source of temptation for another. We need to pray, 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 and pray again. As Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice always, Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. May he give us grace to do just that. Amen.